What is up, Podheads? Episode 103 of the Podio Slay podcast. And we were just talking, guys, just now, right before Anthony hit play, hit, hit record. What number is this episode going to be? We didn't even know at the time. So, hey, a little behind behind the music, a little, you know, inside baseball. This is episode 103. So you're going to hear this in that sequence. How you guys doing? Good. And it's not that we're senile, you know, there's just a lot going on where yeah, we might be senile. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Pandemic brain. We're getting up there. Yeah. I mean, at this point, the episodes blend in. I almost like equate it to bands with gigs. It's like, do they remember who yeah. they toured with, where they played? Like, I don't know. Maybe, you know, what is up Cleveland? Dude, we're in Cincinnati. <laughs> <Right>. Shit. <laughs> I mean, I get that. I get that. And I, and I can actually understand how bands kind of get robotic with that where they just swap out town names you know it's like at some point you've kind of seen it all done it all right Mm -hmm. yeah and you know it's actually more inside baseball we're banking episodes because we're getting busier behind the scenes so the success after 100 was a was a milestone but we're actually starting to bank episodes into the future so we're not only dealing with pandemic brain but we're trying to Always remember, you know, where where are we in real time? Drink. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know where we are. I know exactly where we are. Right. Is, yeah. is this current event still relevant? Is it still current? Is it yeah, still an event? Like that's is, yeah, yeah, that's is, another thing. Is Joe Rogan on Spotify? Oh wait. Yeah. Yeah. We don't even know at this point. This is gonna drop on a date that Joe Rogan might have been booted and he's you know making hundreds of millions of dollars on his own. So who knows? Yeah. <laughs> All right. We had a guest tonight. Anthony, tell us about the guest. So, I mean, at this point, you, you've clicked on the episode. You know who it is. It's Vinny Caruana. I know for us, and obviously we get into this in the episode, we go way back with him. I mean, back to for me personally, back to 2001. I remember going to the drive through Records website, and they right on the landing page, the splash page, back, back when that was a thing, they announced the signing of the movie life. So that was my formal introduction to them. And, you know, obviously I got the – the movie life has a gambling problem EP and you go back and check out the rev stuff. But yeah, we had Vinny on from the movie life. He went on to go, uh, form. I am the avalanche. He's done a million side projects since then with peaced out constant elevation. He's got some solo stuff. And that was kind of the theme with this whole episode is he's kind of pivoted over the years to different bands, different scenes, different genres, but he's always stayed true to himself and he's always stayed relevant. So, We're going to get into that right now with Vinny Caruana. everybody thanks for checking out this episode uh if you are new here we've had some really great guests in the past too have benny horowitz the gaslight anthem uh we had maddie arsenault last week with uh his new band the world with g and miyagi and then uh, we had him actually way back on episode 39 too so peep some maddie stuff back there uh we had peanut from 311 on episode 70 we had tucker rule of thursday on episode 92 we've had all kinds of just great conversations throughout the the life of the pod now two years so yeah go back and check that stuff out we really appreciate you checking us out today uh if you like it hit us up in the dms or uh, email us at podcast at gmail.com thanks guys
Vinny, here we are on the yes, podcast, Party of Sleep podcast. We appreciate you uh, spending your night with us. And um, yeah, we're stoked, man. This is like 25, well, maybe 20 years in the making. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's cool. And Nate, thanks for having me. Yeah, right on. <laughs> we, uh, so we always we always kind of try to start these conversations off with uh, kind of an icebreaker. We're going to start this one off with a story, and I'm going to tell it. You know, you typically have the guest tell. I'm going to I'm going to tell this one. So this story is uh, dates back to 2004, where the movie life almost cost me ten grand. Okay. So I, you're like, uh, where's this going? So I was uh, I think I was a sophomore in college, had a radio show uh, at the, the college mm-hmm. radio station punk hardcore metal adjacent you name it we, we we played it so this was like pretty much right after 40 hour train back to Penn came out mm-hmm. and we mm-hmm. had just freshly added uh jamestown to the playlist and mm-hmm. back then you had three options uh, as far as playing songs with swears either one don't play them two have the label send an edited copy which drive through or mca did not uh-huh. or you edit yourself or three you drop the volume in real time as the song is playing. Yeah. So obviously, I'm, what, 18? I'm like, we're we're fucking dropping it. I'm not editing shit. So yeah. we're playing the song, first time playing it. I mean, we'd heard the song, but first time playing it on the air. And then the, the first, I can't fucking believe, goes by. And I'm like, I look to my co-host, Ed. I'm like, shit, that just went out on the air. What do we do? Yeah. And we were like, you know what? Just let it ride. Just let it ride. So we the song goes on. Second verse comes. Can't fucking believe. And we're like, oh shit. So we, yeah, a way more assertive. A like, way more swear. direct and assertive. So when you're on the air in the station, the with the phone rings, there's no ring. It just flashes. So the the stations lighten up like a Christmas tree. And we're like, oh shit. So I answer the phone, and there's just a voice on the other end that says. That's ten grand, and I'm like, oh my god, kind of laughing. I'm like, what? The anxiety. I go, what? And like, actually, that's twenty grand, and it's like, I'm like, who is this? And it was the GM of the station. He's like, that's an FCC violation. Ten grand a pop. You do it again, the show's done. We're shutting down the show. Wow. So, he listened to every minute of everybody's show. It, actually, <laughs> yes. The dude was uh, pretty intense. But after that, we made sure that, one, we listened to every song that we played beforehand and either found the clean version or just made sure we were on the ball. But, yeah, you would, in real time, you had to drop the volume, and we, f- we fucked up. That's amazing. <laughs> I thought you were going to – I thought it was like a bet that you were, like, <laughs> lost or something. <laughs> like movie life trivia. <laughs> uh, that would have been, been 2003, by the way, not 2004. Right. Well, mm-hmm. unless you were, were, if we were still a band, were we still a band? Yes, because the record was just coming out. At that point, you this this was 04, so you were you were not a band, and we'll get into that. Later. Oh, we'll gotcha. get into that later. Okay. <laughs> yeah, jeez. You might have a question or two about that, but nothing crazy. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, can you level set for us a little bit though? I know people have probably heard it, but grew up in Long Island. How did you find music? What was the stuff that you listened to as a kid that you kind of got you into that full time scene? So Long Island had, I had two, I have two older brothers and they got into, they found the hardcore scene for me on Long Island and it was popping off. And uh, so one of my brothers played in a band and I was allowed to start going to shows because I like, my first show was like 11 years old, I think, because 
my brother was in a band and then have you ever heard of vision of disorder oh yeah mm-hmm. yep. yeah they were like our they're from our town they were my brother's best friends they you know still are and so i was i was allowed to go to shows at a very young age because my parents knew the guys and and so i was allowed to go if my brother's band or vod was playing so bands like vod um, these are all Long Island bands that were just like, not were, like are still insanely, were ahead of their time, like doing sick shit. Not all of them got off the island as much as, you know, some of some of them, but like BOD, Silent Majority was a huge one. That's the more melodic side of like Long Island hardcore. And um, I think Silent Majority's like seminal record came out like the year that Movie Life started or maybe like a year before. 97, yeah. So I was definitely like, you know, that was the best record off of Long Island and I was locked in and I was always into the melodic stuff. And I always liked the heavy stuff too, but um, uh, another band called Mind Over Matter that's super important to old Long Island heads. Let's see, a band called Neglect. And then as far as like outside of our scene, like Sick of It All were the kings and that was like, you know, once we knew what, once I knew what hardcore was, I soon found out that I had to know about Sick of It All. Mm. And I had to know about Minor Threat and like, then like some of the other forefathers and stuff, you know, we had a lot of older guys telling us what was up. So it was really, we were, we were fortunate in that, in that respect. That's a good thing. Yeah. We had a uh, Brendan Garone of Incendiary on about a year ago and we did a full 25 year retro on Long Island. So we know most of those bands for sure. And the ones we don't like neglect Brendan uh, had brought them up. Yeah. That's a band that you, you weren't familiar with only by name. I think we're a few years older than you, uh, younger than you rather. They, and, and, and in fairness, like they didn't like tour the States a bunch. Like if anything, they toured Europe a bunch. Cause there was a bunch of people in Europe that were interested in a band who was super heavy, but also every single song is about committing suicide. So that was Neglect's whole like thing. And the singer would like hurt himself on stage. And it was always, I mean, for, uh, you know, an eighth grader, right. I was like, wow. <laughs> <What am> I <laughs> <seeing>? <laughs> and yeah, Neglect was like, you know, VOD was the only band giving on Long Island. VOD was the only band giving Neglect a run for their money as far as like heaviness goes. Man. It's crazy that you were seeing shows that young. It's it kind of like reminded me of like maybe growing up in like Europe or something where you're drinking wine at like eight years old instead of like waiting till you're 21. <laughs> so you're seeing you're yeah. like checking out this music at such a, 16, a young age. Or 16, or 16, <laughs> oh like everyone else here. Yeah, yeah. It was important that I mean Long Island hardcore for the most part was a peaceful scene, but like one wrong band on the wrong bill and then things unravel and. <laughs> Uh, or, you know, one new guy who doesn't understand the scene and doesn't understand etiquette at shows and rubs somebody the wrong way and all that. But, like, the stuff I was witnessing, like, this controlled, like, kind of violence, unsupervised, by the way. There was no security guards at any of these DIY, like, zones that we were all operating in. Yeah, my parents didn't know, like, how gnarly it was. But they knew that my brothers were there and that the VOD guys were there and that I'd be cool. So, yeah, I, I was really lucky. I feel really lucky to have witnessed a really important time and a really important scene when I was like still, for, my brain was still forming, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. 
So you knew it was special. It's obviously, we look back and, you know, we love so many bands, you know, Glass Joss, Silent Majority, Killer Idols, like all those guys, but we never lived it. So, you know, hearing these stories where people actually knew it was special in the moment is pretty amazing. Yeah, I felt lucky. It was my thing. As soon as I went to my first show, I was like, oh, that's what I'm going to do now. I'm going to go to shows. Like, I don't, I don't care about school. I'm just waiting for Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Hopefully my parents let me go to this show that my parents aren't going to go to, uh, that my brothers aren't going to go to. <laughs> that took a while. But yeah, no, I feel, I, I knew it was special and it, it blew my mind. Like the first time I was exposed to Long Island hardcore or hardcore at all was um, my brother came home with a VHS tape from VOD playing the Battle of the Bands at the high school that I went to, but I was in junior high at the time. And that was the first time I ever saw anybody mosh (laughs) and was like, holy shit, what is that? I like that. And uh, kind of around the same time, my brother Mike brought home a seven inch from like his first show on Long Island. And it was a Mind Over Matter show. The seven inch begins with like a full metal jacket when they all recite the um, like the love letter to their gun. Kind of this is my rifle. There are many like (laughs) it, but this one's mine. (laughs) <laughs> and that's how like the seven inch starts. And I'm like, holy wow. shit. So not only <laughs> am I learning about hardcore, but there's like, there's like samples on hardcore records from movies. Oh man. <laughs> so that, that was really he- like when movie life put out our first demo, which is, you know, same. if it was on vinyl, it would have been our first seven inch, you know, but like mm-hmm. our first demo tape that we would sell at shows like we had like multiple samples on it because that was just the way long island rolled what did you have what was the sample Fuck. <laughs> i don't know <laughs> i don't know what they're from <laughs> yeah. i i have no idea that's half the fun digging back to see like to you you hear it for the first time like i remember like bleeding through used to be notorious for that and i didn't know that was from boondock saints for years until like a few years ago yeah i have no idea if anybody wants to do that research, he's listening. I'm sure the first the first movie life demo is called the red demo because it had a red tape cover. And uh, I'm sure it's on YouTube and I'm sure some sleuth can figure out what it's from, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure it even made sense where it, where it went. Like, I don't know if it had anything to do with the song that was about to unfold or anything. The internet will find that out for us. I'm sure somebody will hit us up in the DMs. Yeah. I, I love so. that. Uh, so like around this time, do you think I want to be in a band? And then how do you discover that you're going to do vocals, be, be the singer? That entire time from, you know, when I first found punk until I was 17. So there was a good six years there. There's going to shows, having fun, being a part of the scene, making friends, hanging out with buds, you know, meeting people, learning about a community and a culture. Not once did I think about singing in a band. (laughs) I just liked to, I just liked hanging out. I would, my whole life was soccer growing up. Not that it was my whole life, but like a lot of my spare time was dedicated to it. And that was a big problem for me because my, my soccer games would get in the way of like matinee shows and stuff. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I liked going to shows, did never thought about being in a band. I had friends in band, you know, Glassjaw was, were 15. 
say by the time we were 15, Glassjaw was Glassjaw, I think. They used to be called, they were called Minority Overall before Glassjaw. And they were doing their thing. And me and Daryl were some of the only younger kids going to shows at that point. So me and him found each other. So he was like the only friend my age in the scene that like was doing a band. And it was kind of, I knew that I could sing a little bit. And that's the way this whole thing came about. Honestly, it's crazy. The only reason we're talking right now, the only reason I got to see the world and had all the fun I've had is because me and Daryl grew up together. There was a song on the Glassjaw EP, Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang, that had like two vocal parts that overlapped. So it needed two singers. So me and Daryl would drive around in my Jeep and we would sing along to fucking, I don't know, what were we singing along to back then? Far. We sung along to Far nice. a lot and yeah. Sound Majority, Face to Face, stuff like that. And he knew I could sing because we would sing in my car while we're driving. And so he's like, you want to sing this song with me? So every once in a while, I would get on stage and sing this song with him. And um, not even stage. I mean, this particular incident was like in a basement somewhere in somebody's house out on Long Island. And Eddie Reyes from Taking Back Sunday, who from we knew him as Eddie from Clockwise, because that was another really good Long Island band that I forgot to mention when you asked me eddie's like oh that was cool you should try out for my new band i'm like holy shit eddie from clockwise's band i'm like i don't really sing and he's like i just saw you sing come out and try out and that's literally the only reason why we're talking right now i saw you sing in the jeep that's what he said (laughs) yeah (laughs) i i passed you on the southern state parkway and it sounded good (laughs) man and we've had people come on here and say that they've learned playing an instrument from just ear by ear, not actual music theory. So that seems like the, you know, the way you're describing it, you kind of learned how to sing just from being at shows and I guess in the Jeep as well, singing along, but really that was your education. Yeah. And like sitting in the basement from like an early age, four or five years old, the basement was where the record player was Yeah, sitting in the basement, my brother singing along, my parents, you know, made us join like, choir or they called it chorus in school and I could I knew, I knew I could carry a tune you know and then when I started finding my own music or even the music my my parents like raised us on like I, I you know I would sing along enjoy it I said that to my one of my brothers recently like you know I you could have been like me and I could have been you like I, my brother BJ has like a almost the same exact speaking voice as I do and, I, and, and he does the same thing if I'm in a car with him, like he'll hum along or like sing along a little bit to whatever's on. And we have the same, you know, aptitude towards keep carrying a tune, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm like, dude, if you sang, like you'd sound exactly like, me. <laughs> like <laughs> yep. this could have been like, you know, roles reversed. So Eddie, Eddie later joined, he was in TBS, right? Eddie Reyes. And take Mac Sunday. Yeah, he he founded TBS and wrote those first few records, I believe, with those guys. Yeah. So you, he asked you to join the band. So that that is ends up being the movie life. Any goals with? Like, he asked me. He asked me to. He asked me to try out. Oh, to try out. So you weren't a shoe in. No. So he asked me to try out, and what they did was they gave me a tape, a cassette tape with a song that they wrote, and then said, "Write to this and see what you really got." And I didn't have shit because I'd never written a song. So we, wow. wow, 
I went uh, I went to Daryl's parents' house and we broke out like a a book that he had a bunch of poems and lyrics in, and we just took something out of his book and he helped me put the words to the song. And then I showed up and was like, "Yeah, I wrote this." That's amazing. Oh, nice. <laughs> any like any early goals with sound? When I think when I think Long Island, I think you guys. I think Crime and Stereo. I think Silent Majority. Like there's there's some overlap and maybe we'll get into that later, mm-hmm. but any goals in those early days of like, all right, we want to sound like this or we don't want to sound like that. As far as me opening my mouth and sound coming out, I think I was immediately trying to sound like Tommy from sound majority, just like this throaty melodic thing. And that, that was kind of, that made a lot of sense and that worked out as well as it did because me and Tommy have similar voices as well, even speaking voices. So like, I don't know, our vocal cords are similar. <laughs> and so when I started singing, like my friends would make fun of me saying I sounded like him or I was trying to sound like him. I was just trying to sound like anything, you know? And uh, honestly, the only, as far as sound goes, the, the other dudes, like the original Movie Life lineup was Evan on drums and Alex on guitar and Eddie on guitar and Nick from Bayside on bass. and. Um, basically like they were just kind of like Alex and Evan were kind of coming from an indie Rocky kind of place. And Eddie was coming from a long Island hardcore place. And I was coming from a place where as soon as like we started moving and I started writing and like not writing music, I didn't write. That's the thing about movie life. I didn't write any music in movie life. I would write the vocals over the music. And, um, so actually, no, I wrote, I hope you die soon. And if only duct tape could fix everything. <laughs> oh, nice. The short one. The short one. <laughs> <I wrote. laughs> well, that's the, that's the, ne- the neglect influence circling back later in life for you. <laughs> right, right, right. So, so those guys were like coming from this indie rock place mixed with Eddie's kind of like sensibilities that you could even hear in the TV, early TBS shit. Like he just had this very like, particularly Eddie way of writing songs and writing riffs and shit. So it was like this clash of like Eddie's thing mixed with these guys that weren't really hardcore dudes or punk dudes. They were kind of like into the Pixies and, and, and the magnetic fields and stuff, you know? And then, and then there was me. And as soon as I got moving and as soon as I started getting a little bit of confidence, I definitely wanted to bring, I wanted to make shit harder and faster and more punk and more, you know, descendants, face-to-face, lifetime kind of stuff. Sound majority, you know? Yep, yep. Bring it, bring it in a little more of an edge than that indie yeah. kind of style, that indie flavor that was also great. I mean, we, you guys took from everywhere, so that, that makes sense. Yeah. So, yeah, that's kind of how the sound started to form. So you guys, you put out It's Go Time in 99, and then this time next year – pretty much a year later on revelation i'm a revelation fanboy like that's i wish i could live oh, that yeah. era i've always been curious oh, that was like, a dream yeah like how did that come about you know because you're i assume maybe a local ish band at that point yeah so what we we toured we toured extensively on it's go time uh and played a lot of shows in front of very little people you know <laughs> we would just play where like play wherever but we toured we toured basically this we would like we were working like 
thinking back on it, we we were very driven to like not like get famous or anything, but just to tour, you know. And obviously, once you start touring, you realize you need like the right label to like promote you, and like you need to see your records actually in the stores and the towns that you're going to, and all the punks, like punk rock record stores and all that. So we would like we sent Movie Life sent demos and everything to like every independent label period in the universe and were turned down by everyone there was a label called deep elm uh they did all the emo diaries compilations are you guys familiar with those uh, it doesn't ring a bell yeah, no 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 it was like it was like this um it was a series of compilations there was probably like 10 of them or whatever and there was like real bands that were touring through New York that would be on these compilations. You remember how important compilations were back in the day? Oh, absolutely. Huge. Massive. So, That's how we found everybody when we were, you know, at 1999, 2000. Yeah. Oh, uh, totally. So Emo Diaries was like, if you go back to the, or, or to the Emo Diaries, like track listings on all of these CDs, it was nuts. There's like, huge, you know, bands that fucking conquered the world on some of these, on some of these things. So, we really wanted to sign to Deep Elm because we were in this kind of indie rockish kind of emo post hardcore thing. Deep Elm was like, "We're not signing you, but we'll put like we'll put you on Emo Diaries. We'll put one song on." And we were like, "Holy shit!" <laughs> and that that was like, "Shit!" I wish I could tell you what was on that. There was some bands on that that like you know ended up making making some waves and shit. So Jason Upright, from who was an A and R at Revelation Records, who's still a dear friend, he hears the Emo Diaries. Oh wow! Uh, our song on the Emo Diaries, which was a song from our second demo, which is the White Demo, because <laughs> it's called the White Demo because it had a white cover. Of course, <laughs> it was literally a white cardboard cardboard sleeve to cover the. <laughs> the uh the cassette so um jason upright hears our song he says hmm that's interesting it's not you know not fully formed but i see something in you guys and then we sent him it's go time and he was like oh okay i hear some shit on here that i like that's cool we were desperately trying at the same time trying to sign to initial records as well because they were like, you know, putting out sick records. Boy Sets Fire, Ink and Dagger, like ill, sh like mid to late 90s stuff. We, I remember driving from, we drove from Long Island to Louisville, Kentucky to play one show with Boy Sets Fire to play in front of Andy, the guy that owned Initial Records. Wow. Nice. So showcase, that's, that's awesome at that, that age. That's a grind yeah. right there, yeah. Yeah, like 30 hours round trip. Or whatever in, in a jeep <laughs> and um <laughs> we go down we play we're like that was fucking sick i think we like it was a big crowd and like nobody knew us but we played well and we were like i think we we're gonna be able to sign to initial record and then we all go out to eat after the show as you do back in the 90s everyone's oh, what diner are we going to we went out to eat and um and andy just didn't sit with us he like sat oh, at another no. table and like sat with like boy sets fire and like literally just didn't give us the time of day he's like you guys good okay i'll be over here and we were like all right i guess he doesn't like us oh man so we get home 
and Rev comes through and they're like, we want to sign you. We were like, wow. Holy shit. Yep. Like all of our friends were like, what? Right. They're like revelation <laughs> records, dude. Fucking girl biscuits. You today judge. So Rev wants to sign us. The word gets through and Andy from initial records comes through. And, um, I, I, you know how it is with when 25 years goes by yeah right he's basically like he came through with some kind of silly offer like whatever they're giving you i'll give you one more dollar than that (laughs) (laughs) like he like dipped his toe in like last second was like i want to sign you now now that somebody (laughs) somebody else took interest all right i'm interested let's go wait did he know that that uh, rev was interested yeah, he must. Okay. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. the only reason he came in. He came in last minute because he knew Rev was interested, and uh, we were like, "No, we're already like this guy that, obvi- you know, this guy that actually has shown interest and kind of got into us in a more like organic way." And and, and you know, J- like I said, Jason's still a close friend. He's the kind of guy that oh, I want to work with this guy. You know what I mean? Mm, yeah. Of course, if it was fucking Satan himself, and he was like want to sign to rev we'd be like yeah <laughs> you know if it was simon brody from drowning man himself <laughs> yeah. but yeah that's the way that that's the way rev happened because like you guys were at that time like in the middle of the sound like in my eyes himza garrison game face like you throw yeah, those fast break yeah you throw all those guys in a blender there's the movie life so in a crazy way it was probably a perfect fit yeah rev had a really really diverse roster at that point Sorry, I'm getting FaceTimed by my friend in Hawaii. Invite him in. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, that was a sick. um, We were really happy with how diverse it was. Like, it wasn't all hardcore. Not that Rev was always all, you know, all hardcore, but we felt like it was a nice place for us to be sitting. And we really loved Fast Break, and Fast Break had signed to Rev and and put out their Rev record, and we were like, oh, wait, we want to tour Fast Break and stuff like stuff like that which we never did <laughs> man it's almost like what, what was that cd you were talking about earlier the one with all the bands on it you got your song on it uh the emo uh, diary yeah. emo diary so up here up in maine it was uh monitor this right for every cd you bought you got like a free cd with all the songs on it so i almost feel like we are describing the label at least at this time it was almost like that was the transcendence of okay a label can have more than one genre under their imprint it doesn't have to be typecast which is kind of cool yeah and, and we were used to that like the long island yeah. hardcore scene like silent majority and neglect playing together was two ends of the spectrum you know what i mean and we were used to mixed bills and things being all over the place you know mm-hmm. indie bands would open and then like like my brother had a band that was called the warped weeble wobbles and they were a joke band that <laughs> were awesome, super man. beloved on long island and they named the band after their after their uh nickname that they gave to their high school math teacher and um they would literally like play with mad ball <laughs> that's <laughs> like, awesome wow every show on long island was like m- most shows on long island had a really mixed bill which was cool because a lot of us were shown the way like we were shown that this is the way it can be it doesn't need to be closed-minded like ignorant shit you can like this you can dig earth crisis and then go see mineral the next day you know I mean, that's that's kind of how we've tried to do this and who we talk to and the people that we bring in that I mean, we've listened to a bunch of stuff over the course of 
you know, 30 years of music fandom uh, for the three of us. And like be pigeonholing to one sound, never, never a good thing. I want to hear all the sounds, you know? God, can you imagine a life without, you know, listening to Queen and then listening to fucking Sepultura or right, something? Right. Exactly. You know I mean? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you guys, and that was also a thing at that time period too. Like it wasn't all a Long Island thing. I mean, but you guys definitely were right in the middle. Like you, you play, you could play with Fast Break, you could play with Saves the Day, but then you also played with Sky Came Falling and Bane and Reach the Sky and oh, whatnot. Yeah. So it sounds like it was just organic. Like it just that's the way it happened. Yeah, and you know there was a lot of like weekend trips and things where you're like, oh, there's a show going on in Vermont and we're going to go play and Caven's headlining and Piebald's playing and local bands are playing and you end up on these, you jumping on these shows. Right. And then if you're talking about touring, like when we first did our first tours, we kind of, we toured with inside from long Island. Do you guys remember them or familiar no. with them? A little too young, I think. Eddie, Eddie Reyes was actually in Inside as well. He was in every band from Long Island at one point. And um, so aside from Inside, we would go out on our own and just jump on random shows. But when we first, like when we got a booking agent and we started going on tours, it was all hardcore tours, like all hardcore. Stuff that we really had to fight to like turn heads at shows. Full U.S., with Kill Your Idols in like 99. You know what I mean? Like Reach the Sky and Bane. Yeah. Reach the Sky was a good like like um leveler, you know, they Absolutely. had some melody there, yeah. but but they came from that that ass beating like Boston hardcore world, you know. But like yeah, a lot of our a lot of our early stuff was like we would play with heavy bands and we would be the non-heavy band playing the bill. Wow. So at this time, and we just talked to Benny Horowitz a couple weeks ago from uh, the Gaslight Anthem. I love him. Um, among other things, obviously, he's he's got his hands in everything, which is cool. But uh, he he mentioned on early on for Gaslight playing with against me and kind of learning from them how to be a band and how to like work the crowd and you know hone down your set and not you know not be tuning after every song. Was there a band like that for you guys? Huh. I would say. In 2000, I think it was 2000, we ended up on tour with Newfound Glory. And this is when they they made a name for themselves in the very DIY kind of world. But like when we ended up on tour with them, they were exploding. They're on their first record. Like it went from like doing this tour and saying yes and like, you know, playing like some small places, like maybe a few hundred people. And then maybe in bigger cities, like a thousand people. But it, it like when we said yes to the tour with them, it was Newfound Glory, Glass Jaw, Movie Life, and Autopilot Off. Nice. And it's a great bill. <laughs> that was Newfound Glory. I don't, you have to ask them. You'd have to, you have to do an interview with Chad or one of those guys. We'd point. love to. Hey, hook us up, man. <laughs> I don't know who they learned their professionalism from. I believe they learned their like, oh shit, we better get this shit together. We're playing in front of a thousand people. I believe they learned that from Less Than Jake and Chad, he can correct me if I'm wrong, but not that we learned from Newfound Glory what to do, but that was the first time we were con consistently playing in front of full rooms, like in full rooms. And we just knew that like, we couldn't just like 
turn our backs to the crowd and like that was a big problem for me like when i would sing i would look at the drum the <laughs> kick drum and just like sing you know so like, like uh, from Glory, tool. you're just like man yeah, from tool <laughs> yeah uh the newfound glory tour um which was a few weeks was very like eye-opening like hey we better get our live shit together we better get like strap blocks for our guitars so our guitars don't like fall off the straps like we better learn how to talk to a crowd that that don't necessarily know who you are so that was the first like that's the first thing that springs to mind of course always like you know deriving stage presence from going to see sick of it all as a kid going to see silent majority going to see all the long island bands like you did have an idea of what to do with your hands and mm-hmm. <laughs> shit like exactly. that you know <laughs> at least you at least if you're playing like eight songs opening for someone at least like for at least one of those gaps you can thank the bands that <laughs> like or like shout out your friends <laughs> but there's going to be like six other ones where you have to say something you know yeah buy the merch that's when something. you start um that's when you uh, it's all sorry that's also when you start realizing like Oh, let's start connecting songs. <laughs> like, yeah, oh, yeah. Like, let's not stop after every song. Yeah, keep it keep it flowing. I'm noticing a little bit of a pattern here too, because uh, at this time, movie life's gaining some some traction and whatnot. And you found Glory was on Drive Through, right? And you mm-hmm. guys had signed to Drive Through at this time. Distro was through MCA, who Blink One Eighty Two was on MCA, and I know they were tight with the Blink guys. So I kind of see there's a little bit of a a connection there how did, is this how the drive through record signing came about is through newfound glory mm, i don't know who i don't know how drive through found out about us um we were playing with that like so before the drive through before i'm sorry before we toured with newfound glory we had played like you know a few shows here we we would play with them when they came through long island you yeah. know so i think i think drive through was paying attention to what newfound glory and midtown like were doing and who they were playing with and who's unsigned and who's whatever. So eventually drive through reached out to us. We were signed to rev. We were touring on this time next year and drive through reached out and we were like, no, nah, we're, you know, we're, we're happy here. We're, we're, we're on this label that we grew up like supporting and like, this is cool. Like we're, we're good. And that was really it. Wow. That's a power move. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and then and drive through, we were keeping it real. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then drive through, it was clear that they wanted to sign us. They wanted the movie life. As we were growing, we started seeing what the benefits could be. And then very simply, we got into a van wreck. We were touring with uh, Reach the Sky on the way out to the West Coast to meet up with Bane. And we were going to do a, a Bane tour. Literally never played with Bane in my entire career to this day. Oh, it didn't um, It's happen. like this curse. Never happened. We got oh. in a van wreck, flipped our van, went home. The song Jamestown is about that van wreck. So right it wasn't all a loss. So it definitely opened some doors for you. And like, I know, speaking for myself, like that, the, the drive through signing is actually how 15 year old me learned about the movie life. I remember going to drive through records or drive com. And on the, remember when websites used to have landing pages? Remember the, you know, landing page of a website? You guys were on it, like drive through signs the movie life. And I was like, uh, is that a band? What is that? So that's how I found yeah. out about you guys was through that. Yeah. And so it definitely 
open the doors and and people that were into people that were into drive through records bands were like who else who else can i consume right now you know what yeah, i mean like it yeah. was such a it was such like a devoted fan base for a label yep cuz it was pre you know? it, that was pre finch it was probably maybe pre starting line like rx bandits homegrown was there so did you feel like you fit in at all or we felt like we came from a harder place. Not that we were a hardcore band, but we were just used to being in a hardcore world. We did see that when we played when we played with bands like that, like on the more melodic tip and like maybe even like early pop punky kind of stuff, we would do really well. Yeah. And we liked that kind of music too. Like we were into like everything, you know? So this band wreck was kind of a catalyst. We were like square one. We were fucked. We like bought this band with like money we all chipped in from like working full time and like trying to be a band. All the gear was fucked up. Like we needed, like it would have been really, really hard for us to get back on our feet and like actually get back to playing shows in front of 20 people. You know what I mean? Like yeah. we were nowhere. Um, the only thing we had was our van and some guitars and some amps. And like, so when that was taken away from us, that's when we started being like, mm drive through right. see if they want to fucking get us a bunch of shit right. next thing we know we talk to drive through and they're like what do you need and we're like a van wow. new gear a trailer this that this that done all right wow. we're on drive through <laughs> yeah yep it wasn't as e it wasn't that easy um we were signed to rev so drive through had to buy the movie life out of the rev contract so rev made some money on that so everybody was happy and Rev still had the this time next year record, which was still had some life to it. Yeah. yeah. So after we signed to drive through and the, the, this new world knew all about us, we were selling all these Rev records because that's wow. all we had out. Yeah. So it was cool. Hmm. It was, it was a good, it was a good thing. I mean, you know, go moving to drive through is probably another reason why we're still uh, that we're talking right now. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Well, yeah, that's how, I mean, Anthony, Anthony brought you to Nate and I, I know we, yep. we weren't, he was the fan to start, you know, back when we were 15. So that, to talk to you today is pretty cool. Like we're all friends through music and then to be able to also talk to people like you is, is pretty badass. Uh, that's cool. Yeah. Vinny, the first time I saw you was a uh, state theater, Portland, Maine, October 01. Do you remember what, you remember mm -hmm. what I can tour? tell you who we played with. Yeah. Who was uh, it? Goldfinger. Yeah. Goldfinger Mest and Good Charlotte. Uh, Real Big Fish. Oh, Goldfinger, Real Big Fish, and Mest. Yep. It was that tour. Yep. Yeah. First time I saw you. I'm, I'm shocked, actually, kind of dialing back to you growing up. I'm surprised my parents let me go, being 15, but it was pre-internet, so there's no, like, YouTube videos of stage dives, you know? Right, right, right. I have a very, I have two very vivid memories from that show. One... Uh, it was after 9-11 and Goldfinger had written like a 9-11 tune. And John Feldman made it clear that he wanted me singing on that song like every night. Oh, The Innocent, right? Because, because yeah, because of our, you know, our New York, you know, we were still reeling. We are still reeling from that. But um, I remember, yeah, singing that with with them, I believe, for the first time. And I also won like a few hundred bucks on a scratch off ticket that day and bought uh, 
and ate my first lobster. No, oh, that's awesome. nice. <laughs> so, so that's where the gambling and, and, problem comes in. <laughs> uh, yeah, it wasn't a problem that night. I ate well. I yeah, wasn't eating peanut butter and jelly for once. As they always say, it's not a problem if you're winning, right? <laughs> yeah. And and just as like a an added footnote to that, you know, John Feldman is like a uh, like a staunch like vegan and like animal rights guy. Yeah. So the same day that I won my scratch off ticket and finally I was like, I'm going to eat a lobster. I'm in Maine. I'm going to get a baked potato. I'm going to eat a lobster. <laughs> yeah. That same day, John Feldman like bought a bunch of lobster and released them out back no into the way. ocean. <laughs> wow. he, he liberated some <laughs> at lobster. Least that's, at least that's what I was told. At least that's what I was told. That's amazing. So I was like, I was getting on stage being like, I don't smell like lobster, right? Yeah, because uh, <laughs> yeah, that will stay with you. <laughs> <laughs> that's a uh, that's a normal thing at Christmas Eve for for the, the family here being an Italian. So, uh, yeah, yeah, that stuff will stay with you. Yeah, those lemons that they give, I don't like use them for the food. I use them for like yep. hand, <laughs> hand uh, de-smelling. I thought yep. you were going to say it's like a chaser. You know, you, you eat the lobster, <laughs> then you chase it with a lemon. <laughs> I just keep soaking my hand in lemon juice so that my hands don't smell like fish. <laughs> By the way, Movie Life has a gambling problem. Like the best EP name of all time. Um, I don't think we have oh, enough time to get into the context of that. Maybe we'll have you on again. But um, so you put that on a drive through. You put a forty hour train back to Penn on drive through. That era is when I kind of get introduced to you. You know, it makes sense given what you said with the drive through connection. Let, uh -huh. Let's talk Skate Fest '03. And I know uh -huh. I, I know you know where I'm going with this. I have um, I'm a nerd. And I have the ticket stub here, the Palladium. I don't know if you can see uh -huh. that. Uh-huh. What does it say? Coheed and Cambria? Simple plan, Coheed, <laughs> and then Movie Life. You guys made the stub. We made the stub? You made the stub. And then, Sick. you ready for this? I I still yeah. have, 20 years later, the printout from Mass Concerts. H2O. This wow. was downstairs, Palladium, Worcester, Mass. H2O, the Movie Life, Piebald, Coheed, and then Simple Plan. So... For all, real quick, for all of you listening in your car, Anthony's holding up setless times and ticket stubs. I know it doesn't translate yeah, in yeah. audio medium always, but yeah, that's what he's holding up. We'll show. There'll be pictures on our socials. So I managed to hang on to this. I remember going to the show. I I don't know if you noticed when I held that up, the bands I wanted to see were highlighted, and you guys were highlighted. Uh -huh. Just FYI. Cool. So I'll never forget. So your your setless time here, seven thirty to eight o'clock. This was probably around seven fifty five. You guys are going through your set. Vinny, you're up there on stage. I can't remember if it was a second to last song or the last song. And you're like, we've been the movie life from Long Island. This will be either the last song or the second to last song we ever play. And I remember looking, mm -hmm. I was with my buddy Ed from Boston. And we're like, what the fuck did he just say? What was that? There was no hype about mm -hmm. it, nothing. If you're willing to, let, let's dig into that. Like, what happened? Did you know that was going to happen? Was that a spontaneous, like, fuck this moment? Or what, what was that? Yeah, so we, we were on a tour. It was um, the movie Life, Fairweather, um, who I believe played that day. They did, upstairs, yeah. And um, the honorary title was opening. Yep. And um, we were not getting along. This was, we, we, were, we had been on tour for like three years straight. None of us knew that we were ever going to get off Long Island in the first place. You know what I mean? Like, we just ended up being a bunch of guys in a van together that were now just together all the time you know, growing apart, growing our separate ways, fucking sick of each other. And um, on this tour, we were in a van and 
Nobody was talking to me. I wasn't talking to anybody. And I'm literally sitting next to these guys. Wow. Like, it was really, really shitty. Movie Life had a terrible, terrible uh, communication problem. And um, which could have been uh, the next DP. Just real quick. This was pre-smartphone. Yeah. So like you guys were literally sitting <laughs> next to each other. Like no distractions, <laughs> oh, yeah, that, you know? <laughs> I think at that time we had like one phone that we would all share. It was like the band phones. If you like had to call home or something. So the um, the Nokia phone and the MapQuest directions. Yeah, the brick. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. So things came to a head a few nights earlier on stage. We were in Pittsburgh. This is crazy that I remember all this shit. So like, I don't remember everything, but we were in Pittsburgh. We're playing to a big crowd. Like, holy shit. We're headlining the place that like Goldfinger brought us to. You know what I mean? Like now we're headlining. And the crowd wanted another song. Um, so we're in the backstage and they're like, let's play blah, blah, blah. And I was like, no, let's play, let's play this one. Like let's play one that they know. What are you talking about? Like, so they're like, no, I don't know. We're going to play this. And I was like, no. So I just walk out on stage and I'm like, this song's called whatever I wanted it to be. <laughs> no <laughs> way. And they got on stage and there was like a, a very, very like tangible, everybody basically turned their backs and just looked at their amps and turned their backs on me and the crowd. So my two best friends that I grew up with were on tour with us doing merch and tour managing. So when I saw that they were like, Oh, we're not, we're, you know, we're not down. This is like a mutiny. I just took everyone's microphone stands and threw them on the ground. And then my friend, Ryan, who's our tour manager, keeps running back on stage and setting them back up. And I just keep throwing them back down. Uh, and then the next day we had a, uh, you know, all right, we got to talk, blah, blah, blah. We should break up. Everyone's like, fuck yeah. I want to get away from all you guys. Like every, everybody was just in total agreement that we should break up. And then, you know, we agreed that we wouldn't say anything and that we would just finish the tour and the tour got a lot easier and more fun now that we had like, everyone had like been freed of all this tension, you know? And um, so, of course, I got on stage at our final show, which just happened to be the end of the tour, which was at Skate Fest in Worcester. And I did what I wanted to do. And I said, this is the last song we're ever going to play. And that was before Jamestown. And it was it was the last song on the set. Yeah. So all the guys in the band were again like, fuck this guy (laughs) no way that's amazing (laughs) yeah well i just mean like we agreed that we weren't going to say anything we would make an announcement you know online or something after the tour the dust had settled but i was looking out at a crowd of a few thousand people many of which were singing along to every word and i wanted to tell them at that time so i did how old were you at this time roughly was it 2003 yeah, right around then. 23? Yeah, so, I mean, looking back at myself at that age, uh, I know that a lot of my friends at that time, these two <laughs> excluded, are not necessarily still close friends of mine anymore. And you guys were with each other every day on tour, and the expectation and that's the other we had... Thing. We, weren't, we were not close friends. That's yeah. the thing wow. about the movie life. Yeah. It was like, it wasn't that we weren't enemies or anything, but like, right. we weren't, it wasn't a band of brothers. It was a band of guys that ended up together. Yeah. But like, you don't always stay 
with the people that you're around at that age, the 22, 23, no, 26, no, even no. You, you move on to different parts of your life. And we expect as fans for these bands to stick around for 25 years. And it, it really isn't the norm. No, it's not. And even if they do, you know, fans are used to seeing like, Hey, this isn't everybody that was in the band when I was 16. It's like, <laughs> right. yeah, that's what, that's how it goes when it's old guys. You know? yep. mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. We, we were younger. Like we didn't understand that now that we're, closer to 40 than 35 it's like yeah i get that like that makes total sense yeah like oh that guy didn't want to tour (laughs) Mm -hmm. why didn't you break up (laughs) (laughs) oh you have kids kids at home how are are you gonna go on without (laughs) you know one guy that doesn't want to tour anymore it's like well i don't know if if you love something and you want to keep doing it yeah life is entirely too short to not keep doing what you want to do totally so you know it sounds like a pretty pretty rough breakup but you know understandable at the same time 2004 rolls around year later i am the avalanche forms uh were these songs that you had been kind of writing you know for the movie life or were you starting a project kind of brand new so like i said i I wasn't writing music for the movie life i was just like writing the vocals over the music Mm-hmm. So there's one song in the very late movie life days that me and Brandon Riley were working on and we never like finished and I, I never wrote lyrics to. That is the only song that was kind of just a tiny bit, almost 25% a movie life song. Yeah. And that song is called New Disaster. And that was on the first Avalanche um, self-titled record. So I immediately started writing. Well, first of all, let's not forget this. I joined Head Automatica immediately and started working with the band and who were a bunch of buddies. And while I was in my brief stay in Head Automatica, I was writing. I didn't know what it was. I just knew that I was going to have a band and I wasn't going to play guitar and head automatica. Like that wasn't going to be the end of my story. You know what I mean? So yeah, um, I, I started writing my own stuff for the first time. And the result of that is the first avalanche record. How was it dealing with expectations? Cause like the movie life, it took from the formation of movie life to when I found you guys out those four years, like, I discovered you guys in 2001, but with Avalanche, I knew about you guys before you probably even recorded music. Like there was hype. So like, how do you deal with that? You know, people are expecting, is this movie life 2.0 or is this not movie? Like what's going on? So hard. Cause we, I learned real fast when we first started doing, when we, when we had our first Avalanche shows, there was some interest. Like there were some people that were like, Oh, then he's got a new band. But it by no means means like that. Oh, we're picking up where movie life left off and we're going right. to be selling out, uh, you know, clubs and all this shit. Like, and some of the people, you know, the Avalanche record, the first one is kind of a stony record. Like the tempos are a lot slower. I'm starting to smoke a bunch of weed. <laughs> and like, let's, let's remember, this is very important. Movie life, I was straight edge the entire time. I stopped being straight edge and then wrote a record. So not only did I write my first songs ever, but I was also getting stoned and experimenting with fun stuff. 
you're talking about you're talking about self-titled right with the red cover self-titled yeah, yeah. avalanche record yeah. i don't I, you know it wasn't this like holy shit like a pink floyd record and it was this departure <laughs> from that it was still me singing but it was like it was different than the movie life yeah and for the first few years i, I was playing guitar in the band and like you know i think a bunch of movie life people were like all right i'm good like uh, I like movie life. I'm not going to like follow this guy into his like stony, like pilgrimage kind of thing. So, yeah, I mean, the expectations were rough. I remember the first uh, record coming out, the avalanche record coming out and like alternative press, which had been becoming like a pretty strong force in the scene, gave it a bad review. And I was like, damn, mm. do we suck? And people are like, no, no, you don't suck. It's just different. And you're just, I don't know. You're figuring it out again. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. This wasn't like I had Brandon Riley with me and we were writing another record's worth of songs and like calling it something else. This was like I was alone. Like this is before there was a band. The only reason the way that I Am the Avalanche became a band, like the members, how, how it formed was I booked shows. The first I Am the Avalanche shows ever were in England. Because oh, wow. this promoter in England was like, I want to bring you over and do these avalanche shows because he had heard the he had heard the demos that I like leaked online. So I said yes to the shows without a band. <laughs> and then I put the band together. And that you band must, you must have been that. high. You must have been high. <laughs> I was. <laughs> I definitely was. There was definitely hype. Like I, it's funny you mentioned Head Automatica. There was hype for them too, you know. And I actually didn't know you yep. were in that band until tonight. I didn't either. Yeah, that's wild. And it was the yeah. early days. I had played two shows with Head Automatica, and then moved on. Right on. All right. So, Avalanche. So Avalanche is still an active band. Oh yeah. 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 So. It doesn't stop there. Like we, we, like me personally, I've like we said been a, been a fan for twenty plus years. We're familiar with the pieced out stuff, which is really kind of a super group. Constant elevation. I mean, must be a dream to work with Sammy. Movie That's life. It. Yeah, of course. You know, you you come back, release an album. Uh, what back in twenty seventeen? So you, the the theme here is mm -hmm. you're a dude that that's always busy. You're all, and and you've somehow stayed relevant. You know, there's a lot of dudes from back in the day that I don't know where they're at. They haven't released music in a long ass time. So how do like how do you compartmentalize projects? You know, like when, when you write something, you're like, all right, that screams pieced out or like that screams movie life. Okay. So nowadays, so there's, there's these combinations, at least in my head, that it all computes in this way. If it's me and Brandon Riley writing music together, it's movie life. Makes sense. If yeah. it's me and Mike Ireland writing together, it's I Am The Avalanche. Brandon actually reached out to me recently and was like, what do you think about doing another movie life record? And I'm like, cool, write it. And he's like, what do you mean? And I was like, do it. I go, I didn't write, I didn't write music in the early days. Mm -hmm. Brandon, like 40 hour train was Brandon and Vinny, you know, obviously it was a band and we were all jamming, doing our thing. And like, but like Brandon was the dude who was bringing songs to the table. And I was the dude that was writing over him. Okay. Peace out. Easy. Steve Choi. That's his band. Of RX bandits for, for backdrop, yeah. right? Yep. He, he's writing heavy shit. Uh, he wants me to, I just try to keep up. And that's really fun because I don't write about my life. It's not like hard on your sleeve stuff with Peaced Out. 
pieced out is like drop acid and and fucking stream of consciousness like manic shit Mm -hmm. as far as lyrics go and then constant elevation is just like oh i'm playing with the best hardcore drummer in history in my opinion let me just try and keep up with him and let me like explore some new themes um because of the parameters that we're working you know under and now i have I don't have enough bands, so I started another band <laughs> during quarantine last year where I'm playing with a bunch of really talented friends and neighbors. And that's kind of how the whole thing uh, came about because we were all like keeping a pretty tight, like, you know, this we're talking about like June of 2020 mm-hmm. when like people start like in New York, at least start like coming out up for air, you know. This is a band where I'm writing music, like a lot of music, and I'm not thinking any... I, I, everyone keep for the last year and a half everyone keep looking at me being like when's he gonna write lyrics i'm just like do i need to sing in another band or can i just be the dude that's writing cool shit and like fucking rip like just doing what i never uh, what i what i never do doing something different so that i'm that's kind of i'm exploring that and then the solo stuff of course is just like you know hard on your sleeve times a million. Like mm-hmm. it's like mm-hmm. a therapy session. You're, you're clearly a guy who doesn't sit on his hands. Like you're not <laughs> just waiting for somebody else to, Hey, let's go do this. And you're like, no, I want to, I want to be in this band. I want to be in that band. I want to write here. I want to, you know, stream of consciousness near. I'm going to give you my heart on the sleeve stuff here. That's wild to me because, you know, half the time I'm trying to keep my day straight and, and you're doing this in however many different projects. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> I love it so much. I love that answer. Yeah. Yeah. I love music. I love making music. I love writing music. I love recording music. I love performing it. I love how much it's helped me to survive this long. I don't think I'd be alive. I really don't. Like the things I'm able to write about and, and sing about and like the artistic shit I'm able to express is like a, is like the, my number one key to survival. And I, I just love it. Like I'm working on new music right now for solo stuff and I'm all, it feels exactly, and I, I know it sounds like some kind of bullshit line, but it feels exactly the way it felt when I was writing the first like movie life lyrics and like being like, oh, this is fun, you know? Oh, and I get to say shit and I get, I get to, you know, like I feel exactly that same way. And like, I'm excited about, seeing where I could take it and seeing if I can, I don't know, make, make my best song yet. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what I'm, and I don't mean that in like the public, like, Oh, like what's going to get the best reviews or what's going to be the most popular. I just mean like the thing that like gets me off and like that gets me excited and the things that the different things that all of us, the different, all the little different things that we get excited about, about songs, mm-hmm. Uh, about music, about vocals, about what a singer's doing with his voice, about guitars, about drums, about studio production, all like the hundreds of things that I find interesting about songs and music in general and all the little nuances, like those things just keep multiplying. Like they're not, it's not going away for me. You yeah. know? It's becoming wild. more interesting to me and I'm getting better at understanding it and understanding what 
kind of shit needs what kind of shit and what kind of and what kind of other shit I need to approach differently, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's, 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 uh, it's cool. It's definitely life music. Music is life. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, you're not going to get any argument from, from us on that. It's why <laughs> we're all. here. I mean, it, it brought yeah. us all here tonight. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. Yeah. That's a lot of canvases, different bands. The only other people I can think of that are working that hard is maybe Mike Patton and Manor James Keenan and your buddy, Daryl with Glassjaw and oh, yeah, 20, yeah. 20 projects. But on top of that, you know, you're doing live streams, personalized songs, handwritten lyrics. I mean, the stuff we're all fancy. We're just talking about like, you know, we love that stuff too. I mean, you just don't, you literally don't sit still at all. So I feel like that's, that's pretty cool. It's pr- playing private parties, you know, just different, different outlets. Is this spawned from the pandemic or were these always ideas that you were like, oh, I should do that too. Why not? I think there were things that I was doing um, yeah. already, but maybe, maybe became more in the forefront um, with the pandemic. Um, if I couldn't play live, then I was going to do the other stuff that I do, you know, but it all comes from me being one, me being just coming from a real DIY place and that always staying with me. And also I've, I've never been like a rock star. Like I've never made a fortune. I've always like, I don't know. There's some people that are super down with what I do and that's fucking awesome, but there's not enough people uh, that are to, for me to have like, you know, be it for me to sit there and be like, sit on my ass and not, you know, do all the things that you just listed. That's part of being like a, an artist of my stature or an artist of my, like the, the cloth that I'm cut from, you need to do all that shit. And I'm, I'm fucking happy to do it because it just comes naturally. It doesn't seem like you guys saying, oh man, you're doing so much shit. Like it doesn't feel like I'm doing that much shit. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, maybe it's because I'm not touring with all these things and I'm not like, holy shit, right. uh, this is yeah. too much, you know, but creativity wise, like there's definitely hours in any day. If you make those hours and if you put the time in, to get better at what you're doing or to expand what you, what people think you are. There's definitely enough hours in the day to make that happen. As long as you care enough about it, there's plenty of shit that I do not care about (laughs) that. I don't do. (laughs) Uh, Here, here, brother. (laughs) But the thing I care so much about music because of the, what it's afforded me which is not um, material shit or riches or fame or anything like that, but it's afforded me this constant outlet that if I keep feeding it, that it keeps making me feel good and it keeps making me happy and keeps me, I don't know, from going to the dark side. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You're like a shark. Yeah. You got to keep swimming, right? Oh, yeah. If you don't, you're just going to sink. So you just keep moving. Yeah. Yeah, this music thing is like a um, a lifeline kind of, and I don't mean that to be in like a morbid way. I just mean it like I don't think I would be a happy guy if I didn't have that very big part of me, yep, and very big part of what I put my effort into. And it's not just something to do; it's something to do that I love. You know, yeah, 
totally, totally. I mean, we've interviewed a, a bunch of, of folks and had a lot of conversations with a lot of folks on this podcast, and, and that's a com- that's a common theme, which is it's an extension of a lot of people, and it's their creative outlet, and it's what they do, it's what they think about. When they're not doing music, they're thinking about music, and it sounds like that that is you. So what we like to do on this podcast to close us out is a lightning round, okay? which is basically questions that don't fit in the rest of the interview. Uh, kind of quick hitters. Before we do that, just real quick, w- what's next for you? I think you kind of hinted at maybe some solo stuff, but like what else? You, actually, you said Brandon's Jones and for a movie life LP. Like what's next for you? I wouldn't be surprised if there was more mu- uh, movie life music. I Brandon's just got to write it. I don't think I should be writing it. I think he should. Definitely more avalanche music. Nice. Me and Mike Ireland are constantly writing together. Solo stuff is is what I'm up at three in the morning working on. The band that I started during quarantine is just kind of like forming. Like I think we have all the members now and there's 12 songs, none of which have lyrics on it because (laughs) I have resisted. So that's something that is definitely going to be worked on this year. I'll probably record a full length. That's with uh, members of American Nightmare, Hope Conspiracy, Taking Back Sunday, Sonhet. Wow. The super group. Just super neighbors. Um, <laughs> super neighbors. Is that the name of the band? Let's go. So <laughs> why doesn't Constant Elevation go by X Limp Bizkit? <laughs> we should I, we should claim that shit next time we play a constant elevation show which will, whatever sammy comes back to new york i want that to go on the fire <laughs> and yeah and just a bunch of shows with everything like we're gonna go nuts and just have fun while we're still alive oh, yeah. all right so so Vinny, lightning around this is stuff that just some of it's jokey stuff some of it's serious so anyway i have this time next year on CD, which I've had for like 20 years, at the very uh, bottom, the last page, contact the movie life, the M life at AOL.com. If I emailed that right now, would someone respond? I don't know. Probably not. <laughs> that was uh, in our old drummer. That was his email. Oh, wow. And he, he hasn't been involved for a while. What about the phone number? 516 area code? Uh, that would be his parents' house. Should I, do I don't it? know if they still live. Should I call right now? No, don't. They're very old. <laughs> I, I don't know if they still live there or what, but that would have been his parents' like landline. That's so good. Yeah. Yeah. That's the that's the second interview in a row we've had had that happen. Or th- second of the last three, we've had that happen where <laughs> someone's put their mom's phone number, or their parents' phone number on promo mm-hmm. stuff. That's ben amazing. He did. Horowitz. Yeah. He put his all, mom the, all those old flyers. That's yeah. funny. Um, just as a side note, Benny actually played uh, one of our first shows, Movie Life, in Evan's parents' basement with nice. the low end theory. Evan, yeah, we heard yeah, about Evan. We did hear about Evan. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. The and me and, and Benny interviewed me for his podcast, and we, we touched on that. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. Old, old, late 90s hardcore shit. I thought this was a lightning round. I know. I was no, like, no, well, yeah. we, we, we got a couple. I'll, I'll jump in here. So, yeah, they're, yeah they're, they're your babies, man. You I know. Yeah. It. So, Vinny, there's a lyric from the title track on This Time Next Year, title track This Time Next Year. Now I'm feeling strong, but hard work seems to get me nowhere. So, do you still feel mm-hmm. like 20 year old Vinny right now? No, no, I don't. I think it's gotten me somewhere. 
it hasn't gotten me to Valhalla. It's just gotten me to like, I mean, if we're just talking about music, you know, I'm happy to look back on a lot of these releases and I'm happy to think about the fact that there's people listening to them as we speak and that there's guys like you guys that care enough about it to want to talk to me about it that many years later, you know? Right on. Yep. I would say, I would say all that hard work definitely got, got me somewhere where I don't know. <laughs> Spending um, your time with three dudes from Maine on a, <laughs> on a Wednesday night. So much appreciated. That's right. That's right. I'll take it. Uh, last one. What size were your jeans in the Jamestown music video? <laughs> Shit. <laughs> uh, yeah, and do you still have them? And are you uh, wearing no. them right now? <laughs> no. That's so funny. So we were getting into... Um, You're like, this question again. No, <laughs> no, no, no. Nobody ever asked me that. I know what kind of jeans they were. We were getting into the whole like New York, New York City like streetwear kind of thing. Yeah. And which was tied into hip hop quite a bit. And baggy jeans had kind of made a comeback a little bit. And so you go to these like streetwear boutiques in Soho and shit, and you buy the jeans that you think you're supposed to buy. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, we did that. We did that at that age. Yep. Oh, yeah. That was us. I don't wish I still had those jeans, but I do wish I still had the Air Force ones that I wore in that video. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. Those actually might be worth some money nowadays. <laughs> right? I know. Maybe the jeans too. Who knows? Yeah. All right. What's next? All right. Th this this one wasn't planned, but I'm just thinking of it on the spot. So I'm a big crime and stereo guy. One of my favorite yep, bands of all time. How do you feel about them ripping off the intro to 10 seconds too late with bicycles for Afghanistan? And I know, mm. I know you're tight with Brett and I think he was, I don't know if he was in the band at that point in time, but are you aware hey, of this? Can you, pu can you pull up? Crime and Stereo on Spotify. And oh, actually, no. Just type in "bicycles for Afghanistan." Vin, My wife's Vinny. Spoiler alert: crit. It's the same. Yeah. <laughs> what year? Year did that come out? Oh six. Oh, we're good. That we're good. Shit came out in two thousand. Yeah, uh, and we yeah, we talked about this with with Brendan, did with we Brendan not? And we Caron. put it, yeah. and we put it on we put it on our episode forty six playlist, which we used to make a playlist for all these, uh, and okay. it's on there. They're on. They're both both the songs are on there. So go back and peep that. It's alive. Oh, there's an artist called Bicycles for Afghanistan. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, same thing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, that's kind of like paying yeah, homage, yeah. though, right? You're both from Long Island. <laughs> Vinny's like, where are my royalties? Nitro Records. Who is it? Dexter Holland? <laughs> I never really noticed, to be honest. And I've heard that song a million times. But yeah, those are the same chords. <laughs> I will say that I will not hold that against Karma Stereo because we're both ripping off Silent Majority at the same time. But they <laughs> well, just yeah. did it like six years later. <laughs> I love it. Ugh. Man. All right, I got one last one. That just nice. sp sprung up. So in high school, I used to, when we were all listening to you guys, have the magazine subscription sent to me from the UK called Kerrang! Magazine. Do you remember them? Oh, yeah. yeah still yeah. active. Still active. So for us in the States, obviously, the only magazines that mattered were Circus and Hit Parader and kind of off-the-cuff stuff. Rolling Stone wasn't covering much. AP, actually, you mentioned earlier, was a good one. But Kerrang! out of Europe was dope. Like everything to the photos, the stories. You guys were in there a lot. Did, did you ever? Did you ever collect any of that stuff or? check it out after it pressed yeah yeah collected all of it and i lost nice. all of it in a flood when oh, hurricane no. irene came oh man i don't have like any like 
memorabilia or all the shit I saved, I lost in a flood. But Kerrang, that was a Daryl thing too. Glassjaw popped off and like their first tour in the UK was supporting the Deftones. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. And people in the UK were like, yep, Glassjaw, that's my shit. Like Glassjaw's what's up. Kerrang was like Glassjaw, 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 Glassjaw. Yeah. And so Daryl would do interviews and be like, uh, check out my friend's band, Movie Life. Love it. Oh, nice. That's awesome. And That's awesome. Yeah, Kerrang held, were really, really powerful um, back then. Like, I mean, I'm sure they still are now, but, you know, we're talking about when people are buying magazines more than they, they are now. Yeah, I remember our first, our first, Kerrang played a huge part in like our success in, in, in the UK. We, uh, for those that don't know, like when our first tour in the UK, we had bigger shows than anywhere in the United States. Our first tour there. Wow. Uh, our first tour there, we were headlining and every single show was packed Thursday, open the tour mm-hmm. and the London show, there was a thousand people at the show and it was sold out. And we had not done anything remotely close to that in the States, including our hometown. Amazing. And Kerrang was just all over the movie life and just super supportive of us. And that was really cool. And I do have a, a really cool memory of uh, the first time we were in Kerrang, we were playing like the CMJ showcase and the photographer that shot us, her name was Scarlett Page and it was Jimmy Page's daughter. Wow. Oh, wow. And we were like, your, your dad's Jimmy Page? What do you mean? What? <laughs> yeah, really? yeah, my dad's Jimmy Page. <laughs> like, yeah, no, he's, he's the uh, Jimmy Page. <laughs> We were like, this is crazy. This is going to be fun. And it was, you know, we went, Movie Life had a, like, uh, there was probably three years where nobody knew who we were. And then there was three years where we had a lot of fun, made a big name for ourselves, played a lot of great shows and had a lot of, you know, made lifelong friends and, and did some really cool shit. So it's, it's very, uh, very fucking cool. Hell yeah. Nice. Any last lightning rounds? I think before I go and have a shot and a beer at the bar down the street. <laughs> no, we can let you do that. Uh, we'll we'll let you go. Vinny, thank you for coming on with us tonight. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. That was, it was cool. Thanks for having me. Been a blast, man. It was oh, nice oh. to hang out. A lot of those questions we've had for like twenty years. So you've uh, you've been quite the guest. We appreciate it. All right, boys. Have a great night. 